Often people attribute Satan with more power and credit than he deserves. In doing such, it is often overlooked how Satan is subjected to God's authority and the control we have in choosing not to be enticed by the devil to do wrong. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, The Limits of Satan's Power, taken from Zechariah 3. This sermon is intended to help us recognize how limited Satan is and how God's grace should compel us to live our lives to a godly standard. As God's people, sometimes we find ourselves not living up to the standard that God would have us to live up to. But yet, in it all, God just desires us to have relationship with us. And he does everything that is necessary for us to be whole and pure before him. But in that fight, we know that there's another side, a spiritual realm that the devil resides in where he's fighting against us. And a lot of times I believe that we give the devil more power than he actually has over our lives. We say the devil calls us to do it. And in that, we don't acknowledge the true strength that we have and the responsibility we have as God's people to resist the devil as if he can control us like a puppet indiscriminately. But he can't. And in the book of Zechariah, there's an interesting section, which we're going to read in the third chapter, to where we get a taste of this. But this is not the only part section of scripture that shows us how limited the devil is in controlling us. But also we see the grace of God given to Joshua that, that demonstrates the depth of mercy. That God has for all people. And we'll read Zechariah chapter 3 in its entirety. And as we read it, I want you to listen to God's grace, God's mercy in the midst of his people that are not doing what he wants them to do wholeheartedly. Because we recognize that Zechariah is written to a group of people who are returned from exile and given their line back and commissioned to go and build the temple, but they haven't done it. And part of the thing that's holding them back is the sins that they have and it's keeping them uncleansed before God. And in Zechariah, what we see is God removes those sins. Not because of how good they were, but because of how good he is. And it's the same for us today. Zechariah 3, verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? 
Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thee thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wandered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. What we have is. One of the visions that Zechariah saw in the days of Zerubbabel and Joshua concerning the people of Israel. And in this vision, what he actually sees is the high priest standing before God with Satan, the accuser, on his side as if it's in a court scene. And Joshua, we read, is filthy. Meaning he is defiled before God. He's unpure. And the Satan is there to accuse him of all of his unrighteousness. Now just consider, this is the high priest. And who is he supposed to be? He's supposed to be pure. He's supposed to be clean. He's supposed to represent the best of man. But yet, he reflects us all. And as he stands there in his filthy rags, the sins of the nation clung to him, the sins of himself exposed for all to see. He has an adversary. It's just like in court. You're guilty. You have a prosecuting attorney who knows you're guilty. So is that case going to be hard to build? No. But there's a gracious judge who has mercy who doesn't even allow the prosecuting attorney to speak. Because what does he do? The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. You see, Satan doesn't even get an opportunity to speak in this text. All he does is stand there, ready to accuse the high priest before God, and God says, The Lord rebukes you. You see, a lot of times we give Satan more credit than he actually deserves. I'm not saying that he's not crafty. I'm not saying that he doesn't accuse us. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be aware of his tactics, that he's not dangerous, that, that we can defeat him separate and apart from God. But we give Satan more credit than he deserves. Yes, he wanders about like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. 
But there's other passages of scripture that attest to how little power Satan actually has when people rely on God. You see, the first one that will come to my mind is Job. And as Job tells us in the epilogue of his book, God is in his courts and Satan comes. And what must Satan do? He must ask God's permission to put Job through the trials. And he's limited by what God allows him to do. What does he say? First, you must not touch him. So what does he do? He brings about events that kills his kids and has people raid and take away his property. Yet, God protected Job. He couldn't touch him. And then the Satan must also ask for permission to strike him with boils and to strike him with, with some type of some disease from head to toe. But God says you can't take his life. And in all of that, Job did not sin once with his words. What does that tell us? That while there might be some abilities allowed to Satan, we have all that we need to resist him. He can't make us sin. A couple of other biblical passages that highlight that. If you were to look at 1 Chronicles 21, to where we see that David numbers the people, it says he was enticed, enticed by Satan. Not made to, but enticed. You see, we can entice somebody to do something, but we can't make them do it. The decision is theirs. And that's why David has to suffer the punishment for it. Or if you go to Jesus in the wilderness, tempted Jesus, but he couldn't make Jesus do anything. And that's all that Satan can do to us, entice us, trick us, try to set us up to devour us, but he can't make us do anything that we don't want to do. Does that mean it would be easy to resist him? No. But if we do, which we have the power to, we have a God who defeats him, rebukes him easily. Two passages I want us to consider to show how easily Satan is defeated by God. First one, James. We're very familiar with these passages. James 4. And the verse is number 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You see what he's saying? You don't have to fight the devil. Resist him. 
flee from him and he'll flee from you. And you do the necessary things to put you in closest relationship with God. And God will see this and he will act on your behalf to lift you up. Consider also Revelation 20. And we'll start at verse number seven. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if you read earlier in the chapter, he's defeated easily. Listen to what it says, starting at verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on a dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal over him that he should deceive the nations no more. You see what the Satan does, the devil, the accuser, the adversary, he deceives, but doesn't make. How many of us have been deceived before? I would say we all have. And if somebody with an ill intent wanted us to do something against what we would normally do with the proper information, that's what the Satan does. That's what the devil does. Deceives us, but he can't make us do it. And the way that you beat deception is with truth. And so what is important for us to do is to recognize, one, that the devil has no power over us that God doesn't permit. And two, that the only way the devil can cause us to do wrong is through trickery. He can't force us. We have to be willing to be deceived. For him to cause us to do the bad. Why is that important? Because it gives us a greater responsibility for our actions, but it also allows us to know that we can choose to do right in the midst of wrong. It's an empowering message because what most people will want to profess is the devil made you do it. Well, he deceived you. You chose to do it. What most people would like to profess is the devil is just as powerful as God. Well, no, the devil is limited in his powers and he is submissive fully to the will of God. And when God chooses to cast him into the lake of fire at the judgment day, it will not be a problem for God. You saw what happened. The devil gathered an army Mag and Magog around God's camp. And what did God do? He devoured them with fire from heaven. And then he cast them into the lake of fire for eternity. That's not like they try to present in a lot of TV shows and mythology to where some epic battle to where God has his sword and the devil has his sword. And they're going to be dueling it out. 
and that God is going to be just as limited in power as the devil is known. God is all powerful. The devil is not. The devil must rely on trickery to deceive God's people. And before God, he must submit to God's authority. And we have God's people have the assurance that if we resist Satan, then we will not be caught up by his tricks. It's a lot of them in this world. But the truth will allow us to see what God wants and not be beguiled by Satan. That's good and all. But we also recognize that a lot of the reasons why we sin is not necessarily because the devil made us do it. It's because as we see in this same book in James where we sin because of our own temptations, because of this flesh that our soul is encased in, because of our own desires, and when they're fully fulfilled, it leads us to sin. And that's one of the purposes of the book of Zechariah is it allows God's prophets to tell his people that you have been sinning and now that I want you to rebuild this temple and be my people, you must get rid of this sin. You must stop the evil that you are participating in so that you can be holy. There's a choice we make to live to our standard to do the things that are please our flesh, temptations, desires, which lead to sin. Or to do what God wants, his law, follow his way, and to rise above the mire that is staining us, that's keeping us a guilty distance away from God, a choice we must make. During the days that Zechariah prophesied, we got Haggai, we got Ezra. And what are they calling the people to? Haggai, consider your ways. Ezra, come work on the temple. Even at the end of Ezra, what he says is, we have defiled you, God. We have been, we're guilty. We ask that you forgive us. But we also have a part to play. So he calls the people to put away their foreign wives. He calls the people to listen to this law that they had been neglecting because they had been in punishment for 70 years and to, to follow it. Zechariah, the prophets, your fathers, they have all perished, but God's word remains. Stop resisting the ways of the Lord. Stop living in your evil ways and do what God wants. It's not just building the temple, which Haggai was, was focused on. It's also being righteous, which Haggai touches on too. Sin contaminates what's holy. Joshua, standing before God, is in a dirty robe. He is filthy with the sins 
of the people as a high priest. And the Satan, while he might not have power to make him sin, he does acknowledge that this guy is guilty and he is not righteous. And he's not wrong. And if we look at ourselves, we'll recognize that we stand in the same position, that we have sinned against God and we have not fully lived up to his will. And what does God say? I rebuke you, Satan. Change Joshua's clothes and put some clean ones on him. Why? Because God is a loving God. And one of the messages during this time period to where his people had gone astray and their their sins are, are, are being accounted for through the exile for 70 years is return to me and I will return to you. And not only will I return to you, I will do the things necessary for you to stand before me cleansed, sins forgiven, so that our relationship can go forward as needed. Have you ever had to forgive somebody? Or has somebody ever had to forgive you? The difficult thing about that is for it to really take hold, for it to really be meaningful, you have to restore them. They have to restore you to a place to where they're not holding what you did against them over your head. They're not saying, yeah, but I remember when. Or you're not saying, I would, but I don't know if you still are going to. You have to go forward with the faith, with the trust that once you have forgiven and restored that relationship, that a person in appreciation of it walks in a way that's not going to bring you back to a negative place. And that's what God calls for us to Because while he forgives the sin, and we know that we get that forgiveness of sin through our baptism, while he forgives the sin, he still has a stipulation. But that stipulation has a promise entailed to it. What does he say? If you will walk in my ways and if you will keep my charge Then shalt thou also judge my house and shalt also keep my courts and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. You see, God restores us out of his grace, out of his mercy, but for a purpose as well. For us to dwell among him, for us to have some type of authority in his courts to maintain a standard amongst the people that are saved just like us so we can all dwell and live in the presence of God how he intended life to be. It's a beautiful vision. God takes a corrupted people who without his actions would still be defiled before him who would still in a court of law be guilty of condemnation. And he forgives us. And all he asks is for us 
to recognize that, to respond appropriately through obedience and living our lives in the gratitude, showing that we do trust God, showing that we do recognize that our ways that we were living before we were forgiven were wrong, recognizing that we did stand guilty of being condemned because the adversary, he was not wrong in his charge against us. But God didn't want to hear it. And when we stand before God in the judgment, what we're going to be covered with is not our sins, but the blood of Christ. The same blood that we enacted, that we came into contact with, when we were baptized. And because we're covered in that blood, our sins are forgiven. It should compel us. It should compel us to do all that we can to live godly lives. It's difficult. Because just like in the days of Zechariah, there are a lot of things that would, would challenge our walk with God. We have been comfortable in the land to where we have found peace and refuge in. We have opposition that would cause us not to follow God, such as the Samaritans who were not allowed to help rebuild the temple, so they're going to try to stop the work. We have our brothers and sisters who might stay in the land, who might stay in the world, who know they're being called to God's place, but they don't want to go. And it might compel us to stay there because there's something that we really love that's not going to come back to be who God wants us to be fully. And we enjoyed that relationship. But what we must recognize is that God's word remains when God's prophets and our fathers do not. That God's grace is what saves us when our sins have stained us and the accuser can rightly show how we're worthy of condemnation. And God overlooks all of that because he loves us. And all he wants us to do is return to him. And he will return to us. To do such, we must not give the devil more credit than he is worth and he is due. It's easy to in this world. But we can't let those outside voices cause us to forget how powerful we are when all we do is resist and flee the devil. Maybe not fight, but flee. Run from, evade, escape. Don't combat. Flee, and he'll flee from you. Resist him. Submit your will to God's, and God will lift you up. It's kind of contrary to what we're taught in this world. We're taught that we have to fight tooth and nail against the devil. We got to Make the devil bigger than what he is, and the devil, he can cause us to sin. He can't. He can entice. He can deceive. 
He can accuse. He can even try to put things in our way that would cause us to, but we make that decision. And when we recognize the power that we have in making the decision to do right and to do wrong, we recognize that on our own accord, many times we've chosen to do wrong. And out of God's love for us, he has chosen to wipe all of those sins away and to see what's good in us because he put it in us. And all he asks is for us to follow him out of love, through obedience, and submission to his will. And he'll bring us to a place. He'll bring us to a place that's better than we've ever known. That's what he's calling us to. I'm not sure where that leaves you. But all I was trying to do was to remind us of the power that we have. Maybe not in fighting, but in fleeing. Not in relying on our own good merits, but on the grace of God to compel us to use that to be who God calls us to be. In this world, there's a lot of things that's going to cause us to be less than who we are. Sometimes we slip. But if we get back up and return to God, he will return to us. Not because he owes it to us, but because he loves us. And because he loves us, we owe it to him to be the best that we can for him and for his people. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.